Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission at Connect Church is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information on who we are and how we're doing just that, visit myconnectchurch.cc. Now, let's jump into this week's message from Pastor Blaine. If you join me in John chapter 17 this morning, where we'll launch from John chapter 17. For those of you who may not have been attending here for a little while, we, for this sermon series only, we have uh, been quoting the, or confessing is a better word, the Apostles' Creed together. And so if you will join me one more time by standing and we will go through that together. Trying to get it into our DNA, into our, these are our fundamental beliefs as a church. And as a church, as a part of the Catholic Church, we are not Catholic. We are universal and global in focus. Uh, so when we get to that part, just know when we say Catholic Church, Catholic means universal. Okay? That there is only one church. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, He rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and He will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that we are not um, only dependent upon creeds of men, but upon your Holy Spirit as we find the word of Christ himself in, uh, in the scriptures. And so as we open them today, I pray that your spirit would be our teacher. I pray that we, our hearts and our minds would be illuminated and that our beliefs would align with our behavior. I pray that as we, as we nail down the fundamental beliefs of those who call themselves after your name, that our lives would be radically transformed and that everything about us would be new. And so as we draw the, to the end of this series, Lord, I just pray that you would take everything that we've learned and lay it right heavy upon our hearts today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In John chapter 17, verse 3, as we've come to the very last tenet of our fundamental beliefs, it was Jesus in his high priestly prayer. This is the prayer of Jesus when he is in the Garden of Gethsemane just before his arrest. His final intimate prayer with the Father before his crucifixion. And here's what Jesus says in verse 3. And this is eternal life. And this is eternal life, that they know you. 
So what is eternal life? It's an intimate knowledge and a walking relationship with God the Father. Jesus goes on to say, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. What is eternal life? If we say we believe in life everlasting or everlasting life, what does that mean in, re- in relationship to the Scriptures? Well, when Jesus walked about, He had a lot to say about the kingdom of heaven. He would say, the kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom of heaven is like. But when He would talk about the kingdom of heaven, He would use present day realities to describe what the kingdom of heaven is like. Not the kingdom of heaven is like something far, far away and in a, in a time that doesn't exist yet after the second coming of Christ. When Jesus talks about the kingdom, He uses an everyday illustration to describe it. One of the greatest ways that Jesus talks about the kingdom is the illustration of marriage. Paul really goes into a lot greater elaboration on that uh, for us in Ephesians chapter 5 when he says, Behold, I show you a mystery. And then he describes the mystery as that we never really understood marriage until now. And so the Holy Spirit had talked to Paul about the husband-wife relationship and how it was to represent the relationship of Christ and His church, a sacrificial love and a reverential love, a respectful kind of a love, a, a mutual relationship. And so he says that husbands represent Christ and, the, and the, the, the wife represents the church and how they work together. He says it's a mystery. But when he refers to Christ and His church as a married relationship, now we understand why the New Testament talks about the marriage supper of the Lamb because this is when the Lamb of God unites with His bride, the church. And and we are called the bride of Christ. And He is called the groomsman. So now we understand at least a little bit of that. So then we go back to Jesus who already understood that and we see that in Genesis chapter, uh, well the first few chapters, chapter chapter 1 and chapter 2, we find that this relationship between Adam and Eve, the very first marriage, the very first union, the very first organism, organized and, and anointed and appointed by God Himself, ordained by God Himself, was the marriage relationship. And He said the ultimate goal of that relationship was not to find mutual satisfaction, not to find contentment. The, resp- the, uh, the goal or the, the uh, uh, responsibility of marriage is not to find fulfillment, even completion. We will find out later that it is only Jesus Christ that we can find contentment, fulfillment, sustainability, not in our partner. We can find help there. When I look into the eyes of my wife, I can see, I can see something super special. I can see Jesus' love in her. When the world sees the church, what should they see? I pray that when my wife looks in my eyes, she can see the love that would be sacrificially laying itself down for her. But the ultimate goal of marriage is not that. The ultimate goal of marriage is that the two shall become, anybody? One flesh. One flesh. That's the ultimate goal. 
to forsake everything else and to learn how to become one together. And the only way to become one together is in a relationship with Jesus Christ, the glue of the universe. So now let's go back over into the New Testament. And so if in marriage we find the goal of one flesh, then what would be the goal of Christ and His church? Would it be that we become one flesh with Christ? One with Him? This is why in John chapter 15, when Jesus is talking about abiding, He will say over and over, abide in me and I in you. What He is saying is that those who follow after Jesus become one with Jesus and share the same life. It is not odd for a couple or even friends who spend much time together when they are talking. Some of you have experienced this. When you're talking, one starts the sentence, the other... I didn't even mean to do that. Wouldn't it make sense then that in a, in a relationship with Jesus Christ that we would look and act and feel and think more and more like Him? But when we use our relationship with Christ as a means to an end, we miss the best part of our life with Christ. To be one with Him now. Joining together with Him in one flesh relationship now. This is why it is so important that He laid down His life for us so that we could live into that life. And He could understand us as only a human can become our kinsman redeemer so that He too could live in us. Listen, it's very important for us to understand this In John chapter 17, verse 3, which we've already read, he says, This is eternal life. That we have an intimate relationship with God through Jesus Christ. So if we are waiting for everlasting life to take place after our physical death, we're waiting far too long. If we're waiting on life celestial to occur after the judgment seat of Christ, we've waited far too long. And we are missing countless opportunities. I want you to turn to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. This is a story, I know that you already know it, Perhaps, but it's a story of Nicodemus. Nicodemus is visiting Jesus, just giving you the quick context. It's obvious that Nicodemus already has a great esteem and appreciation for Jesus and just in the way he talks to him. But he also has a great deal of confusion about the deepest teaching of Christ. When Jesus talks about being able to approach the Father and having life Nicodemus misses it, which is not confusing to us who have the New Testament, which Nicodemus did not have, because the Scripture says that the teachings of Jesus, the Word of God, is foolishness to those who don't know Him, right? So Nicodemus does not know God, although Nicodemus does know the law. And so that Nicodemus misses the most important parts of Jesus' teaching, it makes sense. But rather than risk... Being ridiculed by his peer group, Nicodemus comes to Jesus at nighttime. 
This is beginning reading in verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is a very difficult concept for us. Understand this, we have taught this many, many times, and so some may not have heard it very quickly. When, when, when we experience this reality that we can see and touch, we need to recognize that there's two realities taking place simultaneously. There is both a worldly reality, one we can see and touch and experience, and then there's also a spiritual reality that takes place at the same time. So Jesus is the encapsulation of that kingdom. Everywhere Jesus is, the kingdom of God is. We, we learn that in the New Testament very, very well. It's, it's everywhere. Jesus will even walk up and say the kingdom of God is near. So unless one is born again, he cannot experience or see the kingdom of God, which implies that once he does experience new birth, he will at that moment experience and, and be able to see this alternate reality. Nicodemus said to him, How could a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time in his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water, that is, born of woman, and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So when a man is born of a woman, we are born physically and emotionally. But now because we are born with the carnal nature of man, we are dead spiritually. So while we are alive physically and emotionally and mentally, we are dead spiritually. So Jesus says that unless a man experienced natural birth and supernatural birth, born and born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Verse 6, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. What this means is, is there, but these two realities, this reality, there is a barrier between the two. And everything that comes from these two will always be these two. And everything that comes from the Spirit will always be Spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Why? Because the Spirit part of us, this is the part where we say, Lord, send me wherever you will. The Lord has complete sovereignty over all of these, but He has permissive sovereignty over this. He has obedience over this. Over here, I am a slave to myself. Over here, I am a son of God, obedient to the Father. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? I'm just scratching his head. 
Jesus answered them, are you a teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and we bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things, you would not believe. How can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Heavenly things? Jesus is saying to him, you're asking me about being born again. He is saying that salvation is a heavenly experience. Not something that we experience here. It is something that we experience in a different reality. A different dimension. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whosoever believes in Him. What? Whosoever what? Believes. Is that future tense? Does He say whoever will believe, will have life? What does Jesus say? Whoever believes in Him may have experience at that moment, by the way, eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only unique begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have what? Have, by the way, present tense, have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world but that the world, in order that the world might be saved through Him. It's a very illuminating passage of Scripture. Now I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 5. We're spending a lot of time with what John had to say because not only did John write a lot of the New Testament, one of John's favorite illustrations was eternal life. John chapter 5 verse 12 For John, there, there, there were two, two views, two, two ways of believing. And we'll talk about some of this in just a second. But in the Old Testament, there were two ways to interpret eternal life in, in Judaism. One of those ways was that eternal life is something that occurs on the day of the Lord. When, when the Lord returns and that culmination, when the world passes away, yes, that's an Old Testament teaching, when the world passes away and, and we go into another reality, that's when eternal life exists. This is temporary, that is eternal. And this takes place at one of two times. This takes place at your death, you enter into eternity, or that takes place when the Lord comes back for His people, then you enter into eternity. That's one way of believing it in Judaism. The second way of believing it is that you can experience eternal life and, and you experience that little by little as you are obedient to the Torah. Jews still teach this, that you experience God's life by your works and by your doings, by your offerings, by your, your, uh, your, your works. We'll just leave it there. So for John, John is trying to correct those teachings of Judaism in his writings. Eternal life for John, as we have already seen, not only here, but everywhere in the 50 plus times that John uses this illustration, 
every time consistent with the previous one, that eternal life has already begun for those who are living in Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can see the Father except by me. You can't experience the kingdom of the Father unless you are living life abiding in Him and He abiding in you. In Him was life and life everlasting. And so when you say yes to Jesus, you're saying yes to eternal life. So many people live their life as if, well, you know, kicking around the world and having to deal with the difficulties and the, the deep valleys and the sorrow and grumble and complain. And boy, listen... I mean, let me just use this, I'm going to teach this today. This is not, this is relatively new to Christendom. In the, in the 20s and the 30s, especially the 30s and then into the 40s, most commentators and writers begin to filter Scripture just a little bit differently. They filtered it, I'm not demeaning them, every generation does this, that's why we have to be so careful and we're better together. That's why we're so much better together to recognize a global community of faith. Because when you experience, if you, if you translate or filter Scripture based on your cultural context, you might misinterpret some things. And so in the 30s and 40s, when people would write about everlasting life or eternal life or heaven, it was, I want a mansion because I just lost my home in foreclosure. It was streets of gold because I don't get a paycheck anymore. Those things are true, but we start, we start looking forward to eternal life because this world's miserable. This world's terrible. This world is full of heartbreakedness. This world is full of brokenness. This world is full of darkness. And all of these sinners keep getting in my way. And boy, there is a better day coming, a better day coming, a better day coming, a better day coming. So we're no better than the Jews when we think that way, that everlasting life begins at your death. That's not what John teaches. That's not what Paul teaches. That's not what Peter taught. What they taught was the day that you said yes to Jesus, that was the day you died. That was the day you died. You're living your life in sin. You feel guilt. You feel shame. You feel paralyzed. You feel heavy. We have eternity placed in our hearts whether you're a believer or not. That is the residue of the image of God that is upon the, the flesh. We know that there's everlasting life. We crave everlasting life. And we pursue everlasting life and hope and happiness looking at all of the options that the world has to offer. And they all bring us to ruin Except maybe when I die, I'll be able to experience a better, a better life. But what John and Peter and Jesus and Paul teaches us in the New Testament is when you're walking, walking along with that heavy weight, that moment you said, I believe in the Lord Jesus. I'm going to give you my life. At that moment, Paul said, I've died. No longer do I live, but what? Christ lives in me, right? I'm not alive anymore. I am a dead man. And so the things that I do, I don't mean to do. The things I want to do, I don't find myself doing. But that's not who I really am. Because I am in Christ and He is in me. And I am, heaven is a present reality. 
Because when I lived up until the point that I said yes to Jesus, everything about me now is new. I have passed, as the New Testament says, from death unto life. So when we're talking about everlasting life or eternal life, we're talking about a present day experience now. Not a future hope, but a present reality. Which means that everything that we're looking forward to in heaven is available to us right now. Joint heirs with Jesus. Right now. The thing that Christians should be looking forward to more than anything else is an intimate relationship with our Creator. And He promises that right now. Not only does He promise it, He's already given it. And if you're waiting to experience that after your physical body dies, you're waiting far too long. This is the motivation for evangelism in this world. To know that as we live here, we are living in two realities. And if my, if, if my life is filled with drama and destruction and darkness and brokenness and despair, it's because I'm living in the wrong reality. This is why James said, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Believers have eternal life now. Okay, I said 1 John 5, right? Let's go ahead and read that now. So for John, eternal life is something that begins now. Eternal life is now in Christ. He said, He who, what? Has the Son. While he has the Son, what? Has the life. And yes, there is an article in the original. He who has the Son has the life. Why can he say that? Because he heard Jesus say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That life is everlasting life. In Jesus is life. In His Word is life. So look at the tense. He who is presently experiencing life with Christ is presently experiencing the life of Christ. This is why it is so important for us to understand the resurrection of Christ is because that Christ is resurrected is proof to us that we too have already experienced a resurrection. Already. Our spirits. And yes, we will also experience a bodily resurrection where we will be glorified to be like Christ. But spiritually, we are already like Christ. Image bearers of Him again. He doesn't say, He who has the Son will have life. For he who believes in the Son now will have eternal life later. But he who believes, and by the way, that belief is not mental acuity. That belief is behavior. He who believes the Son has eternal life now. Turn over just a couple of pages to chapter 2 of 1 John. This is, I mean chapter 1, sorry, verse 2. Just as he is beginning this epistle he started his gospel in the same way. 1 John chapter 1, verse 2. What was from the beginning, what we heard, what we have seen with our own eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our own hands concerning the word of life, and the life was manifested, and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the 
eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. We have experienced everlasting life, eternal life already. Now back over to 1 John chapter 5, verse 11 and 13, which are the bookends of verse 12, which we've already looked at. It says that God has given us eternal life, has given, is already taken place. He gave it to us when Jesus died on the cross. The proof that He gave it is the resurrection. The proof that we have it is the Holy Spirit, which is also a present reality. He who has the Son has the life, and he who does not have the Son does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. It is already in you, brothers and sisters. Everything you're hoping for in the future reality is available to you right now. There will come a time when this present reality won't be available to you anymore. Right now, we are looking with anticipation of not having to live with both feet in a different reality. One foot in the present reality, another foot in the kingdom reality. Or not present reality, but earthly, earthly reality. There will come a time when the earth will melt with a fervent heat. But while we wait for that, we can choose to live in freedom with both feet firmly planted in a spiritual heaven right here on earth. Say, Pastor, that doesn't even make sense. You don't know how difficult my life is. Believe it or not, I might. But you know what? It doesn't matter. Jesus does. I promise you He does. He knows what your life looks like. And knowing what your life looks like, He gave you His life. Not just on the cross, but by His Spirit. And then He begged you throughout His entire ministry to put Him first. So that you can see His kingdom already advancing. But because He is not threatened by humanity... He's still going to give you the opportunity to choose which reality you want to focus on. And because I think we have a mixed up, mixed up view of, of marriage, I think this is one of the reasons we have a mixed up view of eternal life. If we think that marriage is is the point unto itself. We may never grow closer to our spouse. We may use our spouse. We may even love our spouse. But so many marriages are not choosing to become one flesh with their spouse. The same thing is true with our relationship with Jesus Christ. If we're looking for Christ and we're using Him, if we're just benefiting from Him, you're probably going to live in both realities with wobbly feet. Just like many marriages today. But when you make a choice, an intentional choice to live in one flesh relationship with Christ, your feet's going to be firmly planted in His kingdom everywhere you go. And everywhere you go, you're going to be taking His kingdom. 
And you're going to be manifesting the very life of Christ. Where there is war, you can bring peace. Where there is conflict, you can bring reconciliation. Where there is problems, you can find Christ in every situation because He is living in you and through you. This is the beautiful part of the fruit of the Spirit. These are in exact polar opposites of the fruit of the flesh. And so often we manifest the fruit of the flesh because we're living in this reality. But when you said yes to Jesus, you now have freedom not to live in this reality, but to go ahead and see and experience the kingdom of God now. Because we've believed and are behaving in the life of Jesus Christ. You say, well, this would be great if it could be... So, so I want to get back, I want to get back to, to the Great Depression. So those who are writing, they interpret eternal life in Scripture. You know, everything is about, boy, it's going to be better. Just endure. It's going to be better. It's going to be better. It's going to be better. And we miss it. So the 60s and the 70s were heavily influenced by the writing of the previous generation. Songs and otherwise. So we're so heavily influenced about everlasting life starting later. You know, if I live right, I'll be able to inherit everlasting life. But we already have, and we're missing it. So today, when people can't cope, they use eternal life as a coping mechanism. And if we believe that, what it does is it gives permission to give up on this present reality. We just give up. What so many Christians do is just give up. We hold ourselves up into little worship centers. Hold ourselves even at, even at, when we're at work. We hold ourselves up with people who already think just like us in our neighborhoods. We know who are the good ones and who are the bad ones, and we keep ourselves protected from the bad ones. And I'm just going to just keep enduring until Jesus comes and gets me. Listen, Jesus already came and got you, and He left you here so that you could bring in His kingdom in every place of darkness on this earth. The Holy Spirit of God lives in you, brothers and sisters. Do you not know that you are the dwelling place of God Himself already? So when you're tempted to shrink away from conflict and, well, I'm just not good at that, you have everlasting life flowing through your veins. You are supernatural. Unfortunately, we had to keep dragging this dead body around with us. That's the terrible thing because it gets hung up on everything. That's why we have to look unto Jesus. In Daniel chapter 12, so you say, well, the New Testament, you know, the Old Testament, if we're not careful, we think the Old Testament was written to prepare us for Jesus' coming, and then the New Testament was written to prepare us for Jesus' second coming. And while that is true that is not complete the old testament they were looking forward to many of the things that the new testament is looking forward to the the kingdom of god the the uh, experience of living directly with god the father's presence as well which we're separated from now because of this body of sinful flesh but that won't always be true but they looked forward to everlasting life Look at Daniel chapter 12, verse 2. It says Daniel himself says, some will be raised to everlasting life. Now, in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, 
This is the exact same usage that John used. It's not found anywhere else. I mean, it's exactly the same. Which means that I, I believe that John was influenced by Daniel's belief that everlasting life was a present reality for those who are raised from the dead. Daniel just didn't understand the spiritual aspect of it just yet. That's why John wrote to us and said to us in 50 different ways what the eternal life looks like. So John's teaching is squarely based on the Holy Spirit's inspiration even in the Old Testament. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 6. It says this. We are seated. Are, by the way, for all of you grammar scholars, is present tense. We are seated in Christ Jesus Where? In heavenly places. That means that right now where I am is a heavenly place. Not physically, but spiritually. Which means everywhere I go, I have as a primary responsibility to bring the kingdom of heaven. Everywhere I go. Which is exactly what Jesus did In his life. We are in heavenly places now. John John wrote this. It's it's I think it's probably his theme verse in John chapter 20. It's found in verse 31. And the reason that I say it's his theme verse is because he tells us why he writes the entire book. I've written these things to you that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. By believing, you have life. Listen, if you're waiting to have an intimate relationship with Jesus, people say all the time, boy, when I I die, the first thing I'm going to do is... Well, I'm going I'm to find Jesus. Listen, Jesus already found you. Boy, I just, can't, I just can't wait to be with Jesus. Well, you're waiting too long because He lives in you and you in Him. And the guarantee and the seal of that is the Holy Spirit Himself who is bearing witness to the Son, who bears witness to the Father. And the proof of that life is the ascension to the right hand of the Father, proving that He is sovereign over all things. Now listen, we talk about eternal life. It's so much more, and it's very important. So listen very, very closely. And if you listen, if you listen quickly, I'll speak quickly. Okay? What this means is, here's the practical application. What this means is, is that as a believer, my primary responsibility... My primary responsibility is an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ at all times. Supersedes everything else. 
My relationship with Christ supersedes everything else because in Him I have life. So, eternal life is more than endless existence. When we think about eternal life, we think, well, we'll live forever. No, no, no. Listen, that's not eternal life. Uh, so, very, very qu- quickly and clearly, uh, eternal life is life with Jesus Christ. But by the way, Paul talks about it a lot. There is also eternal death. Both are endless existences. You can live forever with Christ and grow closer and closer in relationship. But you will live forever one way or the other. You can live forever with Jesus or you can live forever in death. A death that does not end. Those are your options. To live for Christ or to live in death. And most people live their entire life thinking that at a point in time it's going to come and they'll do this. But listen, for us, we have already done this and we have chosen the life of Christ. We are already living in Him. How many times can I say that? So the primary takeaway for us is this. We are to be, as Christ did, one with Him, one with one another. Because as we are growing closer in one flesh with Christ, I am the church, you are the church, we are the bride of Christ, we are growing closer into one another. And the world can see Christ when they look into the eyes of the church. How is that manifested? By loving one another. Jesus said that they will know that the Father sent Him by the love that we have for one another. And the close communion of the saints and the fellowship of believers that we have, as we love one another and love one another, we're reaching out with that love and we're, and we're taking back the darkness and bringing it into the light. Because that's exactly what Jesus did. He did it one time in Israel and now He's doing it globally through me and you. But if you keep waiting on that life to come, you're going to keep walking by opportunity after opportunity after opportunity with your hands in your pocket, grumbling and complaining about how terrible this reality is. But you are the hope of this reality, the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. So we need to be actively engaged. This is how Jesus even taught us to pray. Your kingdom come. And your will be done. Where? On earth. As it is in heaven. But only those who follow, who believe, who trust in the life of Christ has everlasting life. Everyone else has everlasting death. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you this morning and we thank you for your truth. I pray that we would hear clearly what is already real. And as 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 we process what that means, Lord, we are filled with confidence and boldness and, and we can experience what even Peter and John did in the first century to be able to speak with boldness. People who, who know nothing, who, who, who experience Lord, the, the experience in our education isn't what it could be. Even, even that's true for us in your word. But Lord, to know that we can walk intimately with you, the impact that we can have on our neighbors, 
the impact that we can have on our family if we would just choose to learn to live in your kingdom instead of this thing that the world offers. Lord, I pray that our, ask that our prayers, that we would learn how to be intimate with you, how to long for you, how to find our, our purpose and our being in you. I pray that we would learn not to put off into eternity what is available to us right now. So, Lord, speak to us. Speak through us. To those who are only living in the world's reality. So that we may pull them out of darkness into your life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need help finding or taking your next step, send us a message at hello at myconnectchurch.cc.